Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this night from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our Lord ascended into heaven, and it feels like he's a lot farther away. It feels like he's a lot farther away, not because we've got the loss that the disciples had, but because we've got their problem. We look around and everything's still busted. We look around and it's easier to mark the places where God feels absent than the places where he feels present. It's easier to mark the places where there are wanton disregard for his word going unpunished, where there are calamity upon calamity, where there are bitter tears, where there are sufferings that compound. And you might get a nice sunset now and then. But I understand why the atheists say it's just all a coincidence, because that doesn't really balance the scale. Christ rose, but stuff's not better yet. And with every promise that our Lord would make us, every inspiring Bible verse that we would highlight, it feels like he's farther, not closer because I've highlighted them too in the past and they're easy to find in the book. They're just hard to find in the world. And I start to wonder how many people show up here trying to keep it a secret that they are just utterly lost, looking for something but overwhelmed and feeling very much alone. I got a pretty good idea how many won't come anywhere near this place because they are ashamed but they're still desperate for answers. The problem is they don't find anything but cliches in the sunsets they look toward or the philosophies that would explain to them the reasons why or the get-help books and self-improvement tropes. Still, how many have called out to God and heard nothing back as they've watched everything that they love turn to dust, that Christ ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father feels like one of the ugliest parts of the creed. So when they had come together, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they already dealt with the sad part. He was crucified, but now he's back. He's risen. And they're looking to cash in on all those inspiring Bible verses they highlighted. They are looking to cash in on watching all their calamities come undone. They are looking for Christ to come in and actually fix all this stuff that has been broken by sin and death and the power of the devil. But his response was disheartening. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And you know, the angel said he'd come back someday, and that's great, but we have been waiting ever since. It's looking worse. He's still not here. I understand why we have tried our very best to convince ourselves that Christianity's whole point is dying and going to heaven. Because it's just really hard to find God down here. And I'd rather that. I would rather sit in the pew and let Jesus preach here 
I would rather Jesus live in town so that any time any one of us were sick, we could go to him and get healing instead of chemo and suffering. Anytime one of us dies and the rest of us weep, he would just pull us back out of the grave and tell us not to worry. And we could say, oh, shucks, Jesus, I guess you're right. It'd be great. But then again, I've never lived in Jerusalem. That's where he was doing all those things, the Middle East. I'd like to think that I would move there if he was still there, but I mean, would you? Would we really sell all and follow him? Is that in the book there somewhere? It's easy enough to shake the question before it bothers us too much because as much as we love the idea of Jesus being close, it's hard to actually imagine him down here. So Christianity today largely sees itself as post-Jesus. And we are deeply embarrassed about it. We would have loved to live back then in Jerusalem, even though our air conditioning is set to 68 degrees all summer long, even though most of us are very much content with all of the technologies that keep us alive and healthy today that didn't exist back then. But still, most of Christianity seems like it is pretending really, really hard that we can go back in time and be a shepherd keeping watch over our flock by night and be the ones who witness him at the resurrection and be the ones who would never forsake him at the cross and be the ones who receive his healing from his very own hand. Because well, you're stuck with me. And you're stuck with each other. And, well, I fall way short of Jesus. I sin a lot. I'm dumb. And I'm pretty sure I can't lay hands on people and heal them, so I'm probably not going to drink poison. But still... Even though we recognize who we all are, we do our very best to dress the church up, to make it seem like it is worthwhile, even though the Jesus who started it seemed to have left so long ago, and it actually starts to snowball, whether we intend it to or not. The more that we don't actually think Jesus is with us, the more we would try to do ourselves, the more we would heap on our own shoulders, the more we would call it our mission, the more that we would call it our love, the more that we would call it our mercy. And it stops being about him. And it starts being about us. And then it only feels all the more pointless because we can have it about us anywhere in the world without being made fun of by the rest of it because we are looking for something, some kind of feeling, some kind of sign, some kind of peace. And the very best that we can seem to do is fake it or find it in a very brief escape from the problems that we know full well are still waiting for us as soon as we say amen at the end of this thing. And that is because we get the great promise that was given to this text backwards. Our Lord says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And we say, all right, give me that second half, please. And we end up measuring the promises of God by the signs instead of measuring the signs by the promises of God. What I mean is we measure the promises of God by the signs. We need something to be impressive because it doesn't look like God's down here. So maybe, maybe, maybe if pastor could heal folks, church wouldn't be empty on Thursday night. And maybe, maybe, maybe 
if we could handle serpents, we might at least have some kind of feeling that we have some sort of divine protection after all, because everywhere we look, we're suffering and dying. There are churches that actually still do that. They handle poisonous snakes. They don't baptize babies, though. One is impressive. The other is kind of boring. And seriously, the, the impressive signs would at least make us feel not so alone, or so we think. But Elisha was promised a double portion of Elijah's spirit if he saw him taken up. He actually sees it in chariots of fire with flaming horses. And he still tears his clothes into pieces and weeps at the loss. He still cries out, God, where are you? Even as he rolls up Elijah's cloak, slaps the water, and watches the whole thing part like the Red Sea gone before him. He actually performs a miracle while yelling, God, where could you possibly be? We see the sign. The sign isn't the problem. It's the feeling that since we can't see God, he must have forsaken us. So as Christ descends, he tells the disciples what to do. Go and preach. Go and promise. Because people are going to be afraid. Go and tell them the truth. God has not forsaken you. The Son was already forsaken for you. He was crucified for you. The Father turned his back on him for you. He was punished for all of your sins, all of your iniquities, all of your doubt. Every last chance that you would turn your back on the places where God has promised to be, that you might seek him where he would never actually be in the first place. Every last time that you would ignore the gifts that he has given you, that you might dwell on your own pessimism to feel more and more alone. Every last time that we succumb to despair, the Son was forsaken for you. He was crucified. Your sins are forgiven you. And he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And now he has ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, not to be farther away, but to actually be closer. Not to have less to do with this earth and all of its problems, but to actually be able to help more than any one city at a time. For from his seat in heaven, he holds captivity captive. He rules, not just in any town like Galilee or Jerusalem, but all the world. Now he rules here in Windside for you. Now he rules all places at all times for all peoples. Not just to curb the damage that sin would do, though we often would still feel it as a call from on high to pursue no more dangerous paths. Not even to free us altogether from the enemies that grasp at us, even death itself, that we would rise on the last day the same as he is risen. Because... It, it's not the last day yet. So he's still at work down here now. But he actually is at work here now that we might find joy in his ascension, that we don't have to look to Jerusalem for Jesus. We can find him exactly where he has promised to be, in the very preaching that he has sent the disciples to do, in the sacraments that he sent them to give. He is here. He is now. He is for you to grant you comfort and peace and forgiveness and life and salvation. He is here and now for you because Christ who has ascended into heaven did not abandon his creation but simply wished to control the whole thing at once because there were people everywhere that he loved. He was thinking of you, that you would not have to be faced with the temptation to abandon everything here, lest be apart from God. He would come to you, even as he took flesh to enter this creation, because he loved us too much to be apart from us. Even now, although he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he has not ignored us. Even now he is helping. Even now he is saving. He is not just present in Jerusalem, but wherever his word is taught in its truth and purity, wherever the sacraments are rightly administered, his promise is here. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And it is found in these things. You see, we don't measure God by the promises. We measure the signs by the promise. God has not lied to us. 
for he is risen from the dead. He has confirmed who he is. He has confirmed his love for us. Christ is risen. And as long as that remains true, no matter what the signs look like, we can find him inside of them. No matter how boring they seem, we might find the promises realized then that if we would simply splash water on a child in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God is with that child until the end of the age. Because it's not actually supposed to be harder to find Jesus. It's not supposed to be about pilgrimages and feeling miracles. It's not supposed to be about earning it by handling enough snakes. God actually wants the gift to be free for you. So he joins it to this sermon. He joins it to your absolution. He joins it to your baptism because God loves you too much to make this thing hard. He would bear the weight. He would bear the sin. He would bear the cross. You would have the gifts. And so even now, we find him here for us that we would not despair that we would not measure dwindling numbers, that we would not measure bank accounts, that we would not measure works, that we would not measure feelings, but we would measure his promise. Christ is risen, and he promises to be with us now in word and in sacrament. And truth be told, he has worked a whole lot more with a whole lot less. Is it really so surprising? He's here now, not just to arbitrarily forgive your sins, but to actually comfort us in our need to ease our fears and be present now for us and for all peoples. He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, it's already happened. Past tense. Because Christ descended to bring heaven not farther away, but closer. Because he has promised to be with us, even though he is in heaven. If he has promised to be with us, even though he is in heaven, he has to bring heaven to earth. He has to crash the two together in body and in blood, that heaven would not be a someday goal and Christianity would not be about hurrying up and dying. It would be recognizing that we have already died in baptism and we are risen with Christ. It would be recognizing that God has not forsaken us, but even here joins us, that we eat and drink his body and blood for forgiveness and life and salvation, that we might lift up our eyes and see where our God has promised to be. Here, for you. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your heart and your mind unto life everlasting. Amen.